Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. I think after that I'm just going to pray and we're going to go home and have some more turkey. <laughs> amen, amen. How, how, can you, how can you beat that? Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yes? I can tell based on your voice you're still a little slow with the digesting of the turkey, but that's okay. All right, it's good to be here with you guys this morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, we're we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, we're going to move away from the book of uh, the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to look into 1 Corinthians. And um, you might be thinking, how can we be thankful by looking at 1 Corinthians? And I'm half crying here from earlier, so I'm sorry about that. I know you've never seen a 6'7 guy cry, but that happens. Um, but here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. I'm going to read this passage together with you right now. And as we begin to dive into this text that the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Corinth. Verse 4 says this, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. For you were made rich in every way in him, in all your speech and in every kind of knowledge, just as the testimony of Christ has been confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be together, to study, to meditate upon the truths of your word. And Father, we thank you that we can be thankful. Father, I pray for this church that you would continue to build upon the rock and the Savior of Jesus Christ, that you, you use your, your word through the guidance of the Holy Spirit to guide us, to protect us, and to direct us into what your will is for our lives. So Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Now, let me give you a few things about this church. So Paul knew this church fairly well. He... Um, Corinth was a, was a major port city, so when you talk about economically, Corinth was, was, was very well off. Even politically, Corinth had some influence in the Roman Empire. By the first century, Corinth had not only become an economic um, power inside of the Roman Empire, but, but a center of worship to both Roman gods and Greek gods. So, so Paul... Um, I believe, as most theologians argue, Paul is going to use the possibility of going to Corinth based on all the things that are going on in the city, how attractive the city was, and in his missionary journey, he ends up going to Corinth, where he spends 18 months there. In this process of spending time in there, he, he is able to see many, many unbelievers coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and you can read a little bit more about that in Acts chapter 18. But after Paul spends 18 months there, he leaves and he goes on his missionary journeys. And as he's going through ministries in different cities, he begins to hear back of what's going on in Corinth. And the news were not very good. 
Why is that? Because Paul is going to address five major issues inside of this letter. We don't have the time to, to go through all that, and that's why I'm giving you a little bit of a background. But Paul begins to hear certain things about this church, and one of the things that he's listening in and he, he hears about them is the fact that there's a lot of division going on inside of them. One of the main five issues, there's, there's sexual immorality, there's arguments over food, there's, there's division among the gathering between the believers, so there's gathering problems in there. And then he's going to finish with the major one, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So five main things he's going to address that. But it's really interesting that if we were thinking about what we need to be addressing here, that we would start with a thanksgiving to them. And so why, why is that important? Why is Paul actually doing or writing a thanksgiving salutation here for them? And, and, and Paul's going to show us, and this is the big idea for today, Paul's going to show us that thanksgiving is always rooted, and listen to this, is always rooted in the faithfulness of God, and it is manifested in this text by the abundance of God's gracious gift through his son Jesus Christ to us. Now, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to give you four reasons today, four reasons why Paul is actually giving thanks to the Lord, okay? And I want that to be the major track of our, of our time here today. So number one, you see in verse four, once again, Paul says that I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's thanksgiving to the Corinthian church reveals a, a, a very particular uh, biblical principle when it comes to thanksgiving. Thanksgiving here is not about the turkey but it is about the lamb. Now, I'm not asking you to change your meal for next year or your meat options for next year. What I'm saying is for Paul, as long as he sees the lamb, he can be thankful for anything. In the Old Testament, listen to this, in the Old Testament, praise and thanksgiving are always used interchangeably. And, and the object of thanksgiving in the Old Testament is always God. Now. We're going to see how that's going to play out in just a moment. But when Paul starts his declaration of thanksgiving here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's simply declaring that God's goodness to the church is in the midst of their problems. So remember the five things I mentioned to you, all their problems? He could have focused on those things, but no, he's, he's, instead of doing that, he's actually going and saying, I can be thankful because of God. So when he prays here, he says, and I'll repeat this again because it's God's word, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Now, did you notice that Thanksgiving here is not about the church body? Did you notice that Thanksgiving here is not about the knowledge that they have? Did you notice that Paul is not going to say, I praise God for you because you're a capable group of people? Did you notice he did not, he did not mention finances? Now. The same concept, I believe, is also found in, first in, in um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, when he says, I thank my God always in my remembrance of you. I thank my God always in my remembrance of you. So when Paul makes his declaration here in verse 4, he's actually teaching us by example. He's saying, hey, listen, if I look at humanly, humanly speaking, there's nothing for me to be thankful about this situation. But when I looked at God, I can praise him for certain things here. 
And so here's where it comes. Here's the point. I'm going to give you four things in your outline that I think we can learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. The first one is the idea that for us to give thanks biblically, we must look upward. Now, you have noticed this. The perspective here for our biblical uh, interpretation of things is to be able to give thanks to God. Right? So we must remember that just as Paul declared that thanksgiving belongs to the Lord, that we are personally responsible for giving thanks to him continuously. And that's why he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, he says, you need to rejoice always. You need to pray cons consistently. And you need to give thanks in everything. Paul is going to remind them that our thanksgiving, I think, to God is not based on our circumstances, not based on our emotions. I'll go back to the testimony we just heard. God's thanksgiving is not based on how I feel or it's not based on the phone call that I just received or how bad the church is doing, but it's based on the character of the one who calls us. And that is, in, in, in a very simple explanation, that should be the motivation, the desire, the ambition of every single one of our hearts here to be able to look for the ability to be able to give thanks to the Lord because of who he is. And so Paul says you need to look upward. And then he says for us to give thanks biblically, I believe he says you need to look outwardly or outward. Now this is really interesting because Paul says here that his, his expression of thankfulness is I always thank my God for you. He's concerned with those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but now they are not actually living the way they should. So even though Paul is going to explain to, to them and to us what is wrong with this church later, right now he's going to remind them that their response to whatever situation they face is the good news of the gospel, their union with Jesus, their forgiveness based on God's grace, which makes the church an object of thanksgiving to Paul. Do you see this? Paul can be thankful to the Lord for them because of what God has done for them, not for what they have done for God. Now, I came across an article this week that's really interesting, at least I think it is. It's from a professor of psychology. His name is Robert Emons. He, he is a professor of psychology at the University of California, and he actually, in his article called uh, What Gets in the Way of Gratitude, he quotes another professor from, uh, named Mark Mitchell, who is a professor of political science at um, Patrick Hen Henry College in Virginia. Now, here's what he says. Listen to this. Gratitude is born of humility, for it acknowledges the giftedness of the creation and the benevol benevolence of the, of the creator. This recognition gives birth to acts marked by attention and responsibility. Ingratitude, on the other hand, is marked by the excessive pride which denies the gift, and this always leads to inattention, irresponsibility, and abuse. Now, he goes on to say, as he explains what that comment is, he goes on to say, in gratitude and humility, we turn to the realities outside of ourselves. We become aware of, the, of our limitations and our need to rely on others. In gratitude and humility, we acknowledge the myth of self-sufficiency. And then he says this, and, and I want you to know, I found this article after I made the outline for this, for this sermon. So he says this, we look upward 
and outward to the sources that sustain us. Becoming aware of the realities greater than ourselves shields us from the illusion of being self-made, being here on this planet by right, expecting everything and owning nothing. The humble person says that, that life is a gift to be grateful for, not a right to be claimed. Humility ushers in a grateful response, response to life. And that's what the, the Apostle Paul exemplifies. That I always thank God for you. Third, you can give thanks biblically because we can look inward. Now, this is because Paul is going to say that the grace of God. He says because of the grace of God. A commentator says that grace here is a super magnanimous giving. Giving that is totally undeserved and unmerited. But I like more what a former professor and college professor used to say about, his, about God's grace. He says, God's grace is freely bestowed benevolence upon his people. Which he's freely giving, bestowing upon us is his benevolence towards his church. Somebody else says, grace is a dynamic power or a desire given by God to help us to do the things his way. Without grace, you cannot accomplish God's gifts or God's goals for you and for the church. And fourthly, look at this. For us to be able to give thanks biblically, we must look backwards. Now, look at what Paul says, how he ends this verse four. He says that the grace of God was given to you in Christ Jesus. Paul says that this grace was given. The verb here is a, is a it shows an action that was done in the past and it was completed. Okay? It was a gift. You cannot do anything to deserve. And that's exactly why the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, when he says that by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So that anyone should boast. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, he says that for the grace of God has appeared, past tense, bringing salvation to all people. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, Indeed, He, God, listen to what He's done. He, God, who did not spare His own Son, past tense, but gave Him up for us all. And church, listen to this. That is, that is the only reason you can be thankful. It's because God has gifted you through the Son, Jesus Christ, and His grace has been manifest, manifested to you by His Son. Let me make a statement here. There's no enjoying of spiritual blessings apart from Jesus Christ. And the reason is because He's both the giver and the gift. He's both the beginning and the end. He's both life and life in abundance. He's not only true, but he's holy. And that's why he, our Savior, Jesus Christ, has done all those things so that we in gratitude can be thankful for them, for whatever he's done. Now, number two, you can be thankful for the grace of God that was manifested to you through Jesus Christ, but you can also be thankful for God's grace enriching you also through Jesus. Look at what he says. Verse 5. 
For you are made rich in every way and in all your speech and every kind of knowledge, just as the testimony about Christ has been confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift. Paul, when he talks about thanksgiving, he always focused on the fullness and the abundance of God's grace to the people. And right now, he's going to use a word that's very unconventional to his thanksgiving portion of any other letter. He's going to say that you have been enriched in Jesus Christ. So he brings this idea of being wealthy. And whether or not, or commentator says, whether or not the Christian church struggle with the concept of richness, Paul is qualifying the wealthiness of the believers by emphasizing the active actions of God and bringing them into a wealthy state, all because it was done in Jesus. So let me show you in what practical sense the Corinthians have become rich in Christ here. According to the text, there's two main ideas. Number one is he's talking about you've been made rich in Christ, and now the demonstration of that is going to be the knowledge that you have and also the ability to speak. He's going to give two things. Okay, O'Brien says, the kinds of wealth mentioned by the Apostle Paul were those which made the strongest appeal to the Corinthians. So I, I did some research this week. I, I didn't grow up in this country, so I wanted to know what people actually believe about certain things now and what they believed 70 years ago, okay? So I'm going I'm to put this out there, and you choose which option, options you would pick from that, and then you please just compare with the biblical text, okay? So in 1950, America's main values were, and I got four, right, four. And they were all pretty much related in between all the articles that I read. Four. The first one was family. Americans apparently value family really well in the 50s. Education. They value peace. And, and most people would say they value peace because it was a post-war generation, right? So they want something other than war, so they value peace. Now, they also value morality and role models. Now, I didn't search what kind of role models that was because we didn't have enough time for that today. But I researched what we value in 2021, and actually, it's really depressing. Hey, can, I just, can I just use that word? I know it's a Thanksgiving service, and I'm thank, thankful to the Lord right now, but here's, our, here, here's what our culture actually values. We value political cleverness. We value racial ideologies and equality, which is the letter is always taken to the extreme. We value independence and competition, which is nothing bad about that. When it comes to sports, we value athleticism. That's like our most prized possession. If you're athletic, you can do everything. And then we value, still value, the American dream, freedom, and progress. But here's, here's the deal. It doesn't matter if you want to be in the 50s or in 2021. What you value the most has the potential of becoming that in which is going to destroy you the faster. That in which you value the most has the potential to be that in which it will destroy you the fastest. Or cause us to grow apart from the truth of the gospel. Now, let me read what a commentator says 
about this passage. Certainly, now let's what the Corinthians value the most, which is speech and knowledge, okay? Just, just keep that in perspective now. Certainly, speaking and knowledge were the very gifts most prized by many in Corinth. And when Paul later criticizes how these gifts are regarded and used, it is their misuse, listen to this, their misuse in intention to self-assertion, status, competitive division, and devaluation of rational constraint, constraint which, has, which Paul has in view here. He does not criticize the gifts, but he criticized the attitude in which they are using the gifts that God has given them. Now, on the other side of the coin, they're misusing the gifts, but on the other side of the coin, there's the danger of not using the gifts that God has given us. I can use everything in a way that does not glorify God, or I can use everything God has given me to not glorify God by not using those things. That's why Psalm 19:14 says, "May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto your sight." That's why in Acts chapter four, verse 29, Peter and John make this declaration, which says, "And now, Lord, pay attention to their threats because they were in jail, and grant your servants to speak your message with courage." That's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 in that very amazing passage about spiritual battles at the end of that in verse 19 he says this that the utterance may be given to him in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness with boldness the mystery of the gospel. God not only made them rich in the ability to communicate but in knowledge and listen to what he says. It says in every kind of knowledge. This word knowledge here in 1 Corinthians is used 10 times. In 2 Corinthians, the word is used six times. In the other letters that Paul wrote, the word knowledge appears five times. So now you need to understand that that was something that was important for them and they were using the wrong way. God provided all the speech and knowledge necessary for the church in Corinth to achieve the goals that God had for them. And that's why Paul is saying, I'm thankful to the Lord for you. And we know that to be true because in verse 6, look at your Bible again. Just as the testimony of, about Christ has been confirmed among you, Paul is saying, the Lord has made himself known here by saving you. And Paul is also saying, just like he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of that gospel. As Paul confirms the testimony of, of God in here by declaring to the believers in Corinth that, in Corinth that they are rich, he consequently, consequently he's going to add that they lack no spiritual gift. Now, if we're all honest, and we went home and we opened our pantries and we would say, man, I'm, I'm a little short here and a little short in there. And maybe if, if, if you man went to the garage and you realized, oh, I'm, I'm lacking a few tools here and I, I cannot do this job. And maybe that's an excuse for your wife. I don't have the tools that I need to accomplish that job. Don't use that and blame me for it. But, but it, we all realize that we're short in certain things in life, right? But Paul is saying to them, hey, listen, church, you lack no spiritual gift. And I have the more reasons to be thankful because you lack nothing. 
Now listen to this. On March 2nd of 1863, so almost 160 years ago, a man named James Harlan, he was a senator from Iowa, he, he wrote, he introduced the resolution in the United States Senate to appoint a national fast day. A national fast day. He said this, listen to this, 160 years ago, we have grown in numbers, wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom. Listen to what it says, in virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace and too proud to pray to, to the God that made us. James Harlan is recognizing that what the Apostle Paul recognized in the church, that God has given us everything, so let's just use that for his glory. You know, I've, I've, I've been in this current country for about 15 years now. I came to college, actually, almost 20. And, and sometimes I think we don't realize how much we have and how much God has blessed us because we've never been out of this place. So I'm not, I'm not blaming you right now. I'm not trying to make you guilty because, you know, guilt for guilt's sake doesn't take you anywhere. But you need to realize that God has given you as much. And the scary part is this, that to whom much is given, much is required. And so before Paul says, you see all those five things you're messing up here, he's saying, I'm thankful to the Lord for you. Number three, we can be thankful because God's grace will bring the future revelation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, brother. I hope you're looking for that. <laughs> Paul says in verse 7, as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believers were supposed to eagerly wait for this. Not only this is important here, but Paul has written throughout the New Testament the same idea. He says you need to wait eagerly for the final adoption. In Romans 8 verse 23, he says you need to wait eagerly for the hope of righteousness. In Galatians chapter 5, he says and you need to wait eagerly for the revelation as the sons of God in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. See, the revelation that Paul is focusing here is the revelation of Christ, which is the affirmation. Listen to this, church. It's the affirmation of a foundational biblical principle for the believer, for you and I who believe in Jesus Christ, that he is coming back. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ present and to die is gain, future. Someone once said that gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos into order, confusion into clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend, Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace to today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. Church, this is what Jesus has done for us. He
He made sense of our past. He brought peace to the present, presence, to the present, and he gives us a vision for tomorrow. To be blameless here suggests that when this church faces Jesus and faces God, they will be, find, be found without accusation, without blameless. That's the same idea that Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, excuse me, when he says, by now he has reconciled you to his physical body through the death to present you holy, to present you holy without blemish and blameless. And church, that's going to be a glorious day. And lastly, Paul's going to emphasize that the thankfulness is based on God's faithfulness. Based on God's faithfulness. Look with me in verse 9. Verse 9 says, God is faithful by whom you're calling to the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we talked about God's faithfulness, um, we talked about his character. You cannot separate God's faithfulness to God's character. That means that we can actually know that what he says is true. And we can know 100% that what he says is true. It means that we can know that the character of God's not flawed, just like the character of your pastor. And I'm not talking about Pastor David. Because God is not. We can know that his character has not changed. Just like mine changes depending on the circumstances that I'm facing. At least that's what my kids usually say. And especially when it involves consequences. But listen to what Hebrews chapter 6 says. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God has made his faithfulness known to us through the person of Jesus Christ and his faithfulness is not dependent upon my faithfulness. It doesn't depend on you being faithful to the Lord. It depends on his character. It doesn't depend on you finding hope on your own because God is the one that has brought to us confident hope. Faithfulness, his God's faithfulness is abounding. His faithfulness is the foundation of all he does. His faithfulness is the guarantees of our forgiveness, just like 1 John 1.9 says. His faithfulness provides the antidote to temptation, as 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says. His faithfulness protects us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, his faithfulness is what brings us into the fellowship with his son. Because as I mentioned before, God is the subject of all the actions of thanksgiving. If you're thinking something apart from God, then you're not having the biblical perspective to thank God for that very thing that you were just thanking for. D.L. Moody said, God never made a promise that was too big to be true. Because apart from his character, apart from his character, there's no promise that's too big for him. A.W. Pink says, God is true. His word 
of promise is sure. In all his relations with his people, God is faithful. He may be safely relied upon. No one ever yet really trusted him in vain. He finds this precious truth expressed almost everywhere in Scripture. For his people need to know the faithfulness that is essential part of his divine character. This is the basis of our confidence in him. Now, church, you need to know one thing as we close our time here together. That because God is faithful and his character is true, anything that we accomplish here in this church will only be accomplished because of his son. Because of Jesus. Now, I know that this week was a very special week for for all of us. We're we're celebrating Thanksgiving, and I I hope you're able to be thankful. But I I, want to do something a little bit different. I don't want to give you any application today here because I think there's many applications that can be taken out of this text, but you need to realize one thing before we get to the end here. There are six verses in this passage. God mentions the word or the, the name Jesus Christ or the reference to him seven times here you need to remember everything you do in terms of being thankful and everything that you do in terms of living your christian life needs to be based on those lenses that jesus christ is everything now i asked our staff and our and our and our group our group of elders here to share a few things with me that they were thankful for so i'm going to close our time today saying a few things that we are thankful for because we want you to know that we, as a church, are thankful to God for you. So here's what came out of this. I'm thankful for God's free gift of salvation that we don't deserve and cannot earn it. I'm thankful for work for his righteousness, mercy, and grace in each one of our lives. I'm thankful that God, I'm thankful to God for his promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. I'm thankful to God for our brothers and sisters in Christ at CBF because they have become like family. I'm thankful to the Lord to see many using their gifts and abilities to serve the Lord in different capacities here at this church. I'm thankful that God, I'm thankful to God that CBF is teaching the true gospel with an in-depth instruction that then encourages people to grow in their faith. When we grow in faith, we serve well and we love well. I'm thankful to God because CBF is, giving, is a giving church. From a meal, meal trains to finances, from humbly serving to visibly loving others, my heart is blessed to hear how generous God has been through our CBF church body. I'm thankful to God for CBF because of the emphasis this church places on Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and the relationship of all believers. We have been blessed numerous times from the encouragement offered by many brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm thankful to God that CBF, for CBF because of our many volunteers who love God and love others well. I'm thankful to God for CBF because our pastors stay focused on God's word. I'm thankful to God for the deep Christian fellowship that I have already seen God building here at CBF. It seems that we instantly bonded, bonded in, with one another in Christ. I'm thankful to God for CBF because the Word of God is central. Loving God and loving others is exemplify. Those who wish can serve and utilize their gifts to serve others and to glorify Him. 
and the body is inspired, encouraged, and challenged, and transformed. I'm thankful for a community of believers who give, who strive to spur other saints towards the finish line while at the same time eagerly waiting the chief shepherd and his return. Now, that is why the Apostle Paul can be thankful for them. And that's why we can be thankful for each other. Because he has done a great work. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We pray that it will not come back void. That you will bring many fruit. Not out of this sermon, but out of your word. Father, I pray that you help us to use the gifts and abilities that we have. If it is speaking, that we may speak for your glory. If it is to use the wisdom that you've given us, may that wisdom be for you. If it is to sing here on stage and glorify you through our voices, then that may be. If it is serving or loving others, that we may do that well because, because of your Son. Father, help us to be faithful to you, not because our salvation depends on, on that, but because that is a, an act, action and an attitude of worship before you, before a, a Father, a Heavenly Father who has saved us. And so, Father, we, we love you. We thank you once again for giving us a chance to be thankful to you.